0: Hi, my name's Angela Crocombe and I'm the children's bio Readings in Carlton. And today I'm chatting with Lily Wilkinson, the author of numerous best-selling young adult novels, including Green Valentine, Scatterheart, The Zigzag Effect, and Pink. But today we're talking about her latest novel, which was launched very recently, and it's called The Boundless Sublime. It's about a teenage girl, Ruby, who's recovering from a tragedy in her family and finds herself drawn into a cult. Uh, Lily, would you like to tell us a little bit more about the story of The Boundless Sublime?
1: Sure, um, and thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, the book is about Ruby and, and her family have sort of fallen apart after this this big tragedy that, you know, spoilers. Um, <laughs> but she's grieving a lot and, and she doesn't really know who she is or, or how on earth she can kind of get out of this spiral of, of, of misery and grief. Uh, and so one day she meets this boy called Fox, who uh, is about her age, but he's very, very peculiar. He's extremely naive. He's never held money or he's never watched television um, and he, he doesn't know about a lot of things. He doesn't go to school, but he also seems to be very wise and very soulful and, and he seems to recognise something in Ruby and she connects to him on this really sort of profound level and, and feels like in him there might be some sort of uh, opportunity for hope or redemption for her. Um, and he is very strange because he belongs to this group uh, called the Institute of the Boundless Sublime, which is uh, a cult. Uh, Ruby <laughs> certainly doesn't think it is at the beginning. Um, although she is pretty sceptical at the beginning, um, but she mm. she follows Fox there because she is so uh, enamoured with him, and uh, and then sort of gets drawn in deeper and deeper, and doesn't really re- realise
0: how sinister the organisation is until it's it's far too late. It's too late, yeah. So she is in terrible emotional pain. Um, do you think that's a, a necessity for becoming involved in a cult? Do you need to be emotionally vulnerable?
1: I think you need to be vulnerable in some ways. Charles Manson always said that he... Uh, he learnt his recruitment strategies uh, for his own cult, uh, both from jailed pimps that he met in prison and also <laughs> from the book uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Ah, uh-huh, Dale Carnegie. Yeah, that combination <laughs> was a winner for Charles Manson and it certainly worked because he was a very peculiar man but very charismatic. Yeah. and And so the thing that he always said was that you had to find people who were – Broken, but not too broken, because Mm. they have to be broken enough that they're still looking for an answer, and that they can they believe that they can find that answer in you. And so, I think it is partially because of that. I Mm -hmm. also feel like other people are just searching for something more remarkable or more extraordinary than their everyday lives, and that sometimes
0: that's where they find it. Yeah, yeah. So, when does something move from being a religion or an an passionate interest into a cult? Oh, I have so many thoughts about this. <laughs> um, firstly, I, I'm not particularly
1: convinced that there is a difference between a religion and a cult. Mm. Um, I th- somebody once used the, the comparison that it's like the difference between a plant and a weed. Botanically speaking, there's no difference between those two things, but a weed is just something we've decided we don't want. And, and somebody yeah. else said uh, that there's no such thing as, an, as a successful cult. Because cults either just stop, because usually everybody dies or goes to jail, or they just become religions, and so things like um, um, Mormonism and and the you know, the Latter Day Saints, Saints and the Seventh Day Adventists. A hundred years ago, were considered to be extremely dangerous cults, and now we just kind of think of them as, you know, slightly fruity religions. <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, then going back a bit further, Christianity was once seen as being the most dangerous cult in the world. Yeah, some people might argue that it still is. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, well, Catholicism has still yeah. a lot
1: to answer for. It sure does. <laughs> um, and so, but then I also think that a cult doesn't have to be religious. Mm. So I think that sometimes it's some, about something very. Personal. And Catholicism is a really good example because I think that certainly some people have used Catholicism to – perpetrate terrible, terrible things. But mm-hmm. also there are, you know, hundreds of thousands of Catholics who are just nice people, and I think that that's probably true. I know that that's true about things like Scientology because I have an un- uncle who was Scientologists and my grandparents were Scientologists and they weren't involved in all of the, yeah. <laughs> you know, the super crazy stuff that goes on yeah. in America. They were just, you know, that was just something that that helped them live their lives, strange mm-hmm. and peculiar as it obviously is. But I think that so sometimes it's about how you respond to a situation. And so I think people can get culty about, um, you know, being a vegan or doing CrossFit or yeah. loving the Collingwood Football Club yeah. or One Bikram Direction. Yoga. Exactly. Well, yoga is definitely <laughs> an interesting one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's certainly kind of rich literary material in, in cults to mine. Um, what was it about them that made you want to write about them? Was it this, this connection with your grandparents or was it something else?
1: Yeah, it's, that's probably certainly the beginning of it. Um, my grandparents were quite prominent Scientologists, despite saying that they were very ordinary. They, um, my grandfather and his brother uh, introduced Scientology to South Australia from WA And they were, my great uncle was the the 70th person in the world to go clear. Um, (laughs) Wow. Congratulations
0: to him. Yeah, well, um,
1: (laughs) they're all dead now. Sorry. Uh, But so that was always something I I didn't realize that Scientology was a weird thing growing up because it was just this super boring thing that my grandparents sometimes talked about. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't. That was before the days of the internet, so nobody knew about, you know, Zeno and all of the other alleged (laughs) stuff that Scientologists (laughs) believe in. Um, It was just, it was incredibly boring to me. And I I found things like Catholicism fascinating because my parents were not religious Mm. and the first time I went to a Catholic Mass, I was like, "What? what is this? Everybody is, is saying things. There's Latin and there's chanting and yeah. everybody seemed to know like when to stand up and sit down and turn around and say something to their neighbour and, <laughs> and then someone explained to me the thing about the wafers oh, yeah. and transubstantiation <laughs> not being a metaphor but the actual literal body of Christ yeah. and I was like, this
0: is insane. Uh, yeah. So, I so th- wanted to have one of those wafers when I was a kid. <laughs> I was like, man, that must be so special. <laughs> um
1: so so I've always been really interested in belief and um when I was a I remember being a kid and reading Anne of Green Gables and and trying to pray because it seemed to bring Anne so much comfort and it seemed to be such an incredibly special thing for her to be able to do so I gave it a crack and it you know obviously did nothing for me um (laughs) but I have always really liked um thinking about belief and reading about belief and, and sort of the various different results that that can have. So I really loved Robin Klein's people might hear you as a kid, um, you know, which is about a girl who finds herself in this incredibly sort of suffocatingly restrictive religious community. Um, and so I've always been very interested in those sorts of ideas.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, so I think that the, one something that's integral to a cult is obviously the charismatic leader, mm. and in the Boundless Sublime, his name is Zosiman, and uh, although the cult members call him Daddy, and he claims to have lived for a thousand years on air and sunlight, <laughs> I, mean, I just find that extraordinary that anyone could believe
1: that. Well, uh, th- <laughs> that is not actually something that I made up. Uh, I have to <laughs> confess, uh, the thousand years old thing, I think I did make that bit up, but uh, the the air and sunlight thing comes straight out of the breatherians. Uh, Um, And there was certainly a very famous breatherian in Australia, Jasmine. and they did a a 60 Minutes report on her where they tried to track her uh, because she said that she could last for months with nothing else other than a cup of tea. Um, (laughs) But that they had to stop it because the the head of the Queensland Medical Association said, no, you're probably going to get sued because I think she's going to die. So they stopped doing it. Um, but the, the president of the Breatharian Association of America is a guy called Wiley Brooks and he claims not to eat or drink anything, but was photographed coming out of a seven eleven, um, with a hot dog, a slurpee, and a packet of Twinkies. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, no way. No, no, no. Let me explain. Um, the apocalypse is coming and the only way you can survive it is is for humans who are three dimensional beings to transmogrify into five dimensional beings. And in order to do that you have to go to a mcdonald's because all mcdonald's are built on uh, five-dimensional portals and you have to have um, a liter of diet coke because that's made out of liquid light you have to have um, a large fries which are fried in five-dimensional dehydrogenated oil and you also have to have a double quarter pounder with cheese because cows are five-dimensional beings put on earth to help humans uh, you know transfer themselves to the fifth dimension and that's why we have to eat the beef um the thing I love about this, and he's like, because the apocalypse is coming, you've got to do it. And he was like, the apocalypse is coming, it's coming in 2012. And then when it didn't, he was like, no, no, wait, it's coming in 2013. And then it didn't, and he's been pretty quiet since then. Um, but none of this <laughs> explains <the> <laughs> why he had the hot dog and the packet of Twinkies in a Seven Eleven.
0: Yeah, there's, there seems so much wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it seems as if the, the charismatic leader they they have to sort of break down their their people, their followers, by various methods, starvation, you know, and um, in order to rebuild them so that they're at this point where they'll believe whatever you say. And it it seems to me that it's a, it sounds like a bit like a, an the army or some kind of mm. military organization where they have to just break you down so that they can rebuild you in their. Yeah.
1: And and probably unlike the military, there's the first step, which is sort of sucking you in in the first place. And Mm. they say they do that with something called love bombing, where at the beginning, everything's great and everybody really loves you. And (laughs) and particularly if you are a vulnerable person, you know, you're experiencing all this acceptance and approval that you might have never experienced before.
0: Yeah. And they tell you you're
1: extraordinary. Yes, that you're special and I think everybody wants to hear that they're special (laughs) Um, and that idea of, yeah, that you are special and you've been chosen and you're extraordinary and together we're going to do these really amazing things, you know, it's very seductive. Yeah. Uh, And and that there's some sort of larger meaning outside your, you know, your small everyday life. Mm. Uh, And then, yeah, begin that systematic process of of dismantling you and they do it in sort of these very manipulative ways of of creating sort of making you think that, yeah, convincing you to think that it's something that you need and that you want and so you Mm. voluntarily submit to,
0: Mm. you know,
1: to these punishments or these um, removals of your freedom.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing as well because it seems like it's so hard to leave. So few Mm. people seem to escape cults. And and is that because they've just sucked you in so effectively?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it is. And also it is that like most cults will um, firstly separate you from your friends and family. And I think that's probably the defining feature of a cult is that it's something that tries to control you by removing you from your friends and family. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's usually some kind of financial control too that you either work for the cult, you give them all of your savings, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So. The idea of leaving is you've got nothing outside of that. You know, you've cut off your friends and family. You have no job. You have nowhere to live. You have no money. Um, and I know that in, in – I've got to be really careful so I don't get sued. Um, in Going Clear, uh, Lawrence Wright's book about Scientology, he talks yeah. about how when you reach the, the OT3 level of Scientology – which is the one where you allegedly learn about, um, you know, the the ancient god Xenu and, and all of the, the like, aliens, yeah, the aliens and like <laughs> the really insane stuff that used to be stuff that that was very very a closely held secret before the internet and sci- most of Scientology's litigation. Uh, kind of came around trying to keep that a secret because they wanted mm. you to have already sunk, you know, $150,000 into Scientology <laughs> before they told you that. So then it's harder to leave. Yeah. Because you've got to kind of keep going forward. Yeah. Because yep.
0: otherwise you've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. And go, I just spent $150,000 <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's just, yeah, quite shocking. Um, so, so back to Zosiman or mm-hmm. daddy, mm-hmm. as we can call him, um, he's, he's kind of obsessed with this process of elutriation. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I, I really enjoyed making up. One of the things <laughs> that I, I genuinely do love about Scientology is L. Ron Hubbard was, he was an amazing writer and he was, um, he loved sort of making up his own language and his own sort of technical language around sort of his Processes and techniques. And so I really wanted to do that with Zustaman <laughs> as well. And so, elutriation is, I spent a lot of time with thesauruses, um, <laughs> is one of them. So, it's like a, a cleansing or a purifying process um, that is both uh, a, like an emotional and mental one, as well as a physical one, because the, the cult has some very extreme dietary practices, as mm. a lot of, of real mm. life cults did
0: and do. <laughs> Yeah, all those vitamins he's pumping into mm. them, and
1: yeah, lots of supplements, and uh, and there are, you know, there are some real negative consequences to taking too many vitamins. Mm. Um, you know, they can be incredibly bad for you, particularly vitamin A, and um, and and that was something I was really interested in. Is the firstly the 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 physical and mental effects on the body from being in that kind of environment where your your sleep is often restricted, your diet is restricted Mm. and and controlled in such a way that, you know, they can take things away from you or, you know, keep you awake for a long time or uh, those sorts of things I think can make people a lot more vulnerable. Yeah. Um, But also I then think there's a lot of overlap then with some health and lifestyle movements as well. Yeah. That I find really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, I found there was a link to how Ruby feels when she comes out, and she's just lost so much weight, and she's so skinny. Um, with uh, Fiona Wright's book, her mm. essays on hunger yeah. and anorexia. Mm,
1: I did and- a lot of reading about um, about anorexia and also orthorexia, which is more about um, the not so much the desire not to eat, but but the need to control mm. and to be healthy in a way that is not healthy at all.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: And so yeah, I did a lot of research into sort of those physical effects because as well as her kind of mental withdrawal she also has to kind of physically detox. Yeah. Um which yeah, yeah I thought would be incredibly traumatic.
0: Yeah, absolutely because she just keeps throwing everything back up mm. and yeah. Um yeah, I thought it was interesting the way her mother I guess also gets caught up in this whole process mm. and and um yeah, there's sort of this bigger thing going on, uh, unlike where they usually separate the parents. she's he's Zosiman is working behind the scenes mm. too. Boilers. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I won't say any more about that. But, um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I, I've always
1: really liked writing parents. Um,
0: yeah. It's something I always really enjoy
1: doing. I, I am not a big fan of the kind of the cookie-cutter parent in mm, the young adult novel. parent. Yeah, or that, that kind of just that, you know, the nice mum who says, why aren't you home for dinner more often? You know, that kind yeah. of just really generic yep. parental character. Um, you know, I think adults are interesting and then I think teenagers yeah. find adults interesting too. So, yeah, yeah, I've
0: always liked writing. Complex parents. Complex parents. And of course, your mother is a teenage writer yes. as well yep, and children's author, Carol yep. Wilkinson. So i sure you get to discuss. Yeah, we do. This kind of
1: thing. We sure do, and particularly with this one.
0: Um, yeah, there was a lot of family discussion about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, great. Because mm. your mum would have lots of stories from your childhood, and well, more from uh, more of my dad because
1: uh, he was the one raised by Scientologists, okay. and yeah. uh, he's he's always very uh, unwilling to talk about it, and mostly just embarrassed mm. about it. Um, but yeah, so it's sort of, it's been an interesting process. Yeah.
0: So at what age did he get, turn away from
1: Scientology? Himself? He says that he was never a fan, um, and that and certainly once he was able to move out of home and that kind of stuff, he didn't participate anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um. But it was it was in South Australia at a time when Scientology was actually illegal, so their house was raided by police several times, and oh. you know, so it was quite a, I think a traumatic experience for him as a kid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Has he watched the movie, Going Clear? Yes, and read the book, and we both found it incredibly fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> mm, Tom Cruise has a lot to answer for, doesn't he? He I mean, sure does. <laughs> what a peculiar fellow. <laughs> Very much so. Um, do you, So do you think that, I mean, cults have been around, obviously, for a, a long, long time. Do you think that we're seeing more of them now as life becomes more complicated Or do you think that it's just that because of the internet we know more about them?
1: Yeah, I think certainly your traditional, like, living in a commune with a charismatic leader kind of cult, there seems to be much, much less of those. Mm -hmm. Um, That was very much a sort of 70s to the millennium kind of phenomenon, I think. Um, and I think the internet has a lot to do with that because nowadays, you know, if, if someone approaches you on the street and says, I'm a, you know, whatever, you can be like, oh, okay, I'm going to just check that yeah. on Wikipedia. <laughs> and, and so I think people are a lot more sceptical. But I do yeah. think that in contrast to that, there has been this sort of big rise in pseudosciences um as a sort of balance out to that. So, you mm. know, with your anti vaxxer movements and your your paleo and, and your you know, alternative medicines and and this quite stringent anti science kind of movement mm. movement, which I think has sort of filled some of that void a little bit of, yeah. of people wanting to rebel against the status
0: quo. Yeah. Yeah. And conspiracy theorists.
1: Mm. Yeah. And and very peculiar I suppose, charismatic leaders, you know, running to be the president of the United States.
0: <laughs> or the president of the paleo movement, yeah. <laughs> perhaps. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, okay, let, let's talk a little bit about the romance in the book because, you know, you've written vastly different books, historical fiction, crime fiction. Your last book, um, Green Valentine, was about guerrilla gardening, mm-hmm. which I loved. But in entwined within the narrative and essential part, there always seems to be romance. Mm. Um, how important is is it to you to have romance in your it's, books? It's very
1: important to me. I love writing romance, but I also am a very um, I'll get on my soapbox for a minute. I, I think that romance is really maligned in our culture. I think that it's something, as a sort of as a as a literary trope or a fictional mm-hmm. trope. I think that it's something that people kind of sneer at a little bit, and and I've always been very confused about how, you know, if you have a book or a film where somebody dies, you know, it's this great deep literary, you know, profundity, mm. but if Somebody falls in love, it's seen as like a great beach read, and it's like surely both of those things are universal human experiences. Um, even if you don't fall in love in your life, you know, the vast majority of humans want to experience that and it's something that preoccupies the vast majority of us you know thinking Mm. about it or doing it or wanting it or being sad that we've lost it absolutely and so i I like to write about it because i think it is profound i think that and particularly for teenagers i don't think you ever fall in love as hard or Mm. as painfully as you do when (laughs) when you're
0: 16 yeah the first time Mm -hmm. always cuts the deepest yep (laughs) so um yeah that's great and so what, what are you working on now? What comes next? Um, I am working on a picture book for the first time. Oh, wonderful. Which I'm
1: really, really enjoying, um, mostly because somebody else has to do all that really hard work.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't um, know. <laughs> Writing the words is very hard. It is obviously very hard.
1: Um, <laughs> but it it's wonderful going in and sort of seeing the illustrations come together and seeing, you know, this massive part of the book, you know, this really kind of defining element of the book that I have nothing to do with, mm-hmm. um, which is... Is great. I, I, I'm really enjoying that kind of that collaboration. Yeah. Uh, who are you collaborating with? Um, a, an illustrator called Amanda Francie. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's going to be very nice. It'll be out at the end of next year. Um, and then I'm have just started work on my next YA novel, which won't be out for two years. Um, which is about apocalypse preppers.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, well, it's in
1: the very, very early stages, but sort of looking at that, I'm very interested in, in you know, preppers and prepping and that idea of that doomsday is coming and we've all got to be ready with our bunker full of canned food. And okay. I think there's some really interesting moral issues in that of, you know, of survivalism and there is a selfishness in it about you know, I have to protect myself and my family mm-hmm. um, whilst presumably your neighbours starve to death, you know, when, when the apocalypse hits. And yeah. so I, I find that really, really interesting and I kind of really want to dig into some of those those issues.
0: Yeah, okay. It sounds like a, a step on from from the cults, you know, it's like because yeah. a lot of cults are sort of doomsday mm. predictors, aren't they?
1: Yeah, well, this was the sort of first book I've written that was very dark mm. and I thought that that might be a really difficult thing for me to do. Um, because I've written so many sort of romantic comedies and I was like, Oh, am I really gonna hate writing it? Is it gonna be a torturous experience? But I actually have never enjoyed writing a book as much as I enjoyed writing this one. <laughs> um and I think part, part of it was because I just had a baby when I started it and um he you know, you've got to be really cheerful when your baby is, is very small, when he's yeah. awake. And because, you know, you're like, yay, everything's great. Stop crying. Um, <laughs> go to sleep. And and so you're sort of so upbeat and cheerful, whereas on the inside you are overwhelmed and exhausted. Yeah. And so I yeah. loved having that opportunity when he was asleep to sort of channel all of my darkness into this story. And, and I love running dark. it's It's
0: very fun. Yeah, yeah. That's like actors saying they, you know, they love playing the baddie because mm. it's so exciting. Yeah, to, kind to of do more that.
1: meaty, and it's it's good to have a bit of a change as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, we should tell people about your podcasts about cults because mm. you've done an incredible amount of research, and you can learn all sorts of interesting things. So, where can people find your podcast? Um,
1: so it's a it's a web series on YouTube called Let's Talk About Sects. S e c t s. And there are seven episodes um, and you can find it either on my website, which is lilywilkinson.com.au or you can just Google, let's talk about sex and it should come up on YouTube. Um, And yeah, yeah, it's been very, very fun to make them uh, (laughs) and to see the response. I have had, I have consulted with a defamation lawyer to make sure that, you know, Scientology or Bikram Yoga doesn't sue me. Um, So that's been good um because i'm not saying that either of those things are a cult um but yeah sort of looking into cults new religious movements and and sort of associated groups has been really really fascinating and and i'm actually really sad now that the book is over that i i have to stop (laughs) reading about it and researching (laughs) it and talking about well i can still talk about it yeah
0: yeah and i'm sure you can still read about it just for pleasure Mm, perhaps indeed it is (laughs) it's endlessly fascinating to me it is. Well, the book I think is really fascinating and um and a just a fast-paced read that you really uh is quite thrilling. And uh yeah, congratulations. Thank you. And maybe we should finish with just a little taster from sure. the book. Yep. Um
1: so I might read a little bit from the beginning when uh, Ruby is sort of getting to know Fox. Yeah, great. Um, and they, she takes him to a cafe um, so they can have a chat. She's just met him on the street and she's very, very interested. Um, a waitress came over and I ordered a coffee. She turned to Fox, who smiled up at her. Hello, he said. My name's Fox. It's lovely to meet you. The waitress looked confused. Great, she said. Can I get you anything? What's your name? Josie, said the waitress, glancing at me. Do you want a coffee? Fox shook his head. I don't drink coffee. The waitress took a deep breath. Juice, I said, leaning forward. He drinks juice. Okay, said the waitress. We have orange, apple, ginger, pineapple, carrot and grapefruit. Fox looked delighted. And I get to choose one. One or a mix. You can have all of them if you want all of them together in one glass. Fox shook his head with a disbelieving smile. Who knows what that might do to me? May I have apple juice? Thank you so much, Josie. The waitress smiled insincerely and disappeared into the kitchen. Fox carefully inspected everything on the table, the laminated menu, a tea light candle in a glass holder, the salt and pepper shakers, the little packets of sugar and artificial sweetener. What are these? He asked, holding up a pink packet. Splendor, I told him. It's an artificial sweetener artificial. Had he really never been to a cafe or a restaurant before? You use it instead of sugar to make tea or coffee sweet. Oh, because sugar is bad for you. Fox nodded. Right. And this isn't bad for you. He shook the packet. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's bad for you too, but it's a different kind of bad. Fox's puzzled frown deepened. So why use it? I shrugged. People like sweet things. People seem to like a lot of things that are bad for them. Yeah. Fox chewed his bottom lip, thinking. People are strange, he said
0: finally. <laughs> Thank you, Lily Wilkinson. My that was fantastic. Pleasure. All right. We've been listening to Lily Wilkinson, and she's talking with Angela from Readings. <laughs>